I took Brian on a trip down memory lane, showing him a bit of nostalgia, and Brian was not interested in anything I said. So I told him when I paid my water bill, and what did you say to me, Brian? We, we were driving through Orlando, and he, you know how anyone, when they're showing a friend, or a still and they just like pointing things out, and you were like, that restaurant right there never used to have that black fence in front of it. I was like, cool. Then you go to buy this other building, see that building right there? And he was serious. He's like, see that building? That's where I used to pay my water bill. And I was like, hey, Billy, we're friends. I love you, man, but I don't give a f- where you used to pay your that's water bill. That's the difference, Brian. See, that's the powers of observation. I already picked up that that fence wasn't there before. I remembered exactly the path wow. that I walked. See, and that's why I'll stay alive, alive a lot longer than you will. <laughs> well, who, if I was giving you, you, if I was giving you a tour of my hometown, I would know all that stuff too about my hometown. And I wouldn't be interested either. So Is now you get point? it. So now you get it, right? Is that the point? <laughs> that's the point. Okay. So but I do, I actually, you know, think about it more. Because it means so much to you, I would like to go back there and get my picture taken in front of that building where you used Ron, to take you know your water what? bottle. you. <laughs> You ain't going nowhere with me. Sound. Videos rolling. Rolling, 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 rolling. So what were you saying about... Where are we now? Funny saying. You're talking about saying... Where are we? We're in the proper chunter basher. This is the chunter basher? Yeah. The Chunter Basher is a, you said it's like a shed or a pavilion? It's a central point normally in the jungle. That's where it originated from. And we are in the jungle. We're in the, yeah, we're in the trees. We're in amongst it. This is a Hulu. This is a worldwide podcast. We were in Orlando the other day. We don't hang around. We're in the jungle now. Back in the, yeah, back in the trees. Amongst brother nature, mother nature. Right, so, I was just saying to the mate, you know these crazy ass scenes that you hear all the time? I know it like the back of my hand. Does Do you know the back of your hand? Not as well as I know other parts of my body. What parts do you know? <laughs> what was the other saying? Sleep like a baby. Why Babies do people don't say that? They don't sleep that well. They don't. They're up, they're, right. So if you're lucky, they'll sleep for two hours. They're up for two hours. They're moaning. They're shitting themselves. And it, they just go through that rotation there. So if that's a good night's sleep, I'm just getting a good night's sleep every night. How many hours do you average sleep per night? I sleep solid for at least two, and then I'm up for about an hour, sleep a little bit more. I don't ever not, in fact, no, I don't. I don't go through a six, seven hour straight through, ever. So, but total amount of hours, even if you don't sleep consistently, total amount of hours you Probably sleep. Probably four and a half, five if I'm lucky. That's not enough. Well, it's working for me. It's worked for over the last... It's not healthy. I'm pretty healthy. I ain't slowing down. I, I was watching... I know we've talked about special forces a lot, but another question that I thought of to kind of shift gears here. They're introducing you on the first episode, talking about your experience fighting for the Queen, working at Tier 1 SAS. Yeah. I don't know what exactly that means. and I don't think you've explained it yet, what Tier 1 of the SAS means. I think there's a lot of misconceptions and people throw that word around too willy-nilly. And I want to, I want to interrupt too. Because you're you're the only one that was actually SAS tier one on yeah on both versions yeah that's correct I am SAS the other guy next to me is part of our tier one SBS which is Foxy but tier one SAS is me um, yeah so I like I said that that word tier one gets thrown around a lot by people who abuse it and misuse it tier one 
is basically the elite of your special forces. As an example, tier one uh, forces in the US will be um, SEAL Team 6 and Delta. In the UK, it's SAS and SBS. Now, tier one operations or missions are literally um, governmental changing operations. You know, you work at such an high level, strategic level, and it, it has a massive impact, not just on your own country, your own troops, on, on world policies and changing. It really does. That's the level you're working at, at tier one. Now, I've heard people saying, oh, I've led tier one, I've done tier one. Unless you are the director of special forces, you have not led tier one. So all that throwaway comments that you were asking me about the other day, has that guy let? No, they haven't. To lead tier one, it's right. You've got to remember, you're talking to the prime minister, the president. Were you this level? I, I, I ran tier one operations in the UK, which was London bombings, as in the ground commander. So I was a bottom of that pecking order. That's the lowest you'd ever get to leading anything tier one. Mm -hmm. Anything below that, no. You, yeah. you, you may be on tier one operations or supporting tier one operations, but no, you're not leading it unless you're minimum of a sergeant major, but more likely director of the special forces, the commanding officer, and then the OC. So there's a, there's a chain. And just to clear that up, because you were asking me, and I was trying to think about it, what, you know, because we hear it thrown around a lot on both sides of the ocean, you know, and that's what it is. That's what tier one is. That's something I wish the show, at least what I've seen of the show, Special Forces kind of explained a little bit more. Because when they introduce you, they're like, such and such did this. Mm. Billy Billingham did this. An average citizen's like, okay, I don't yeah. know what tier one is or SAS is. I wish they kind of like did a quick background of what your guys level that's probably is. not a bad idea actually i mean i've never really thought of it that way but i always say remember this the show isn't about us but i yeah. guess for people that do watch it they really want to know what your background is that's not a bad idea i think that's good where they should do some sort of um interview of your career what mm -hmm. you can talk about what you can't talk about but literally your experience your knowledge because people throw it out there that they've done this done that and there's you know and people watching this especially Military guys will know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a lot of Walter Mitties out there. Mm -hmm. People who have actually never been in the army or the military and claiming to have been. And then there's people in the military that claim to have done a lot more than they have. And I don't understand why they do that, but they do. Do the SEALs and the SAS have a mutual level of respect for each other? Obviously, I'm sure they do, but is yeah. there also a level of competition there? There's, I don't want to say it's competition. You're always trying to be, not outdo each other, but you're always trying to move to the next level, you know. You gotta remember the world we live in. For the last 20, 30 years, we've fought alongside the American special forces, uh, you know, fighting the war against global terrorism. And the, you know, terrorism doesn't stand still; it moves at a fast speed and changes. And you've got to move with the time. So I wouldn't say we outdo each other. We're always trying to better and stay one step ahead. And we share our information and our our knowledge, and you know, and, and we work close together. So. I would never say we try to outdo each other, we support each other, because the common goal is to provide a better world for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, and by sharing that knowledge, information, experience can only be a good thing. And what was your perspective any time you fought alongside the SEALs? I didn't do a lot of fighting alongside the SEALs, if I'm honest. The, the way it works is, I have trained with the SEALs, we have done bits and pieces with the SEALs, supporting them in Afghanistan. Um, we cl we're closer, the SAS are closer to Delta. Um, so we've done a lot of side-by-side -side work with them. You know, I don't have to say exactly where, but yeah. So we have a closer relationship with them. And I think the reason being is Delta are more like the SAS, which is land-based, anything on mountains, air, sky, and water. 
the seals and SBS are the amphibious side, mainly under the water, although we all cross over at some degree. But I would, you know, happily say that the lead on ground counterterrorism counter coming from the mountains, coming from the skies, is SES and Delta. See, I feel like the... Uh on average, we as Americans hear more about the SEALs than we do Delta. I'm not, as just a normal citizen, not very familiar with what Delta forces are. Yeah. I feel like we hear more about, oh, it's the SEALs. Well, you know, there's people go, well, that's why, because the Delta are, are, are you know, more cloak and dagger. Their, mm. their stuff is more secretive. It's it's not, I mean, it, it a lot of the sort of information that gets out about the SEALs about Delta it is because of films and stuff, you know, and SEALs have been, I think there's a lot more films and, and documentaries about the SEALs than there are of Delta Force, so yeah, that's probably the way it is, but... There was a movie, I want to say, I don't know if you heard about it, it came out like 10 years ago, that was um, actually starring actual Navy SEALs. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? I don't, but I do know. There's quite a few. There's uh, One I was surprised, I mean, I've worked with some of the real good guys. I mean, I've worked with Remy. I work with Q right now, and they're, they're saying a lot of their guys do get out into that, that world, what we're in now, the celebrity stroke, movie stroke, you know, entertainment mm -hmm. world. Um, and, you know, if it's something based on a military experience or background, then rightly so, because then you're getting correct information. You yeah, know, and it, it, exactly. It's, it's authentic. So I get that. There's not so much in in UK, you know, for myself, stepping into that world was really weird and unusual because the, the regiment is very, very close-knitted about what you talk about, secrets, yeah. operational, and rightly so. And I would never have talked about anything that I shouldn't be talking about anyway. Yeah. You know, what I talk about is already out in the domain. And the reason, which actually, I'm glad we got onto this, the reason I say I'm in the SS and, uh, you know, I am who I am is because when I left, and again, there'll be Special Forces guys out there know exactly what I'm talking about, Everybody in our industry, in our circle of work, it's a tight-knit community. And then all of a sudden you, you find yourself working alongside somebody and then you're being told this guy was in the SAS, knowing full well they weren't. So these, there's a lot of people yeah. out there running high-power jobs in great positions using our name. And I found that when I was a bodyguard. Everybody I met as a bodyguard that I'd never seen in my life were all in the SAS. You're like, really? And half of them couldn't spell SAS. <laughs> you know, was, I was like, what the fuck? So I then got to the point where I had to say who I was. And once she's, you know, I say who I was, I'm, yeah. Because it, it, it dampens the power of the, the title. It like, does, yeah. You know, people go, oh, well, if you're in the SAS, you wouldn't say it. And I've lived with that for years. But, you know, we're in a different world as well today, you know. Yeah. It's, there's more communication today. There's really nobody that can sort of hide under the shadows anymore. Why and do you think people do, like, people that have experience in the military, because it's not stolen valor, Stolen Valor is when you're actually lying about being mm. in the military. But this being in the military, why would people try to make their standing bigger than this? Because they're not going to get away with it. Of I, course, in daily life. But if you start advertising that and the public that you did something, mate, that's it's a great crazy. question. It's someone we ask ourselves, why are you doing that? Why don't you just be happy with who you are, what you are? It's, it, yeah. it, it, you know, and a lot of blokes are genuine. Just go, yeah, this is who I was. This is what I did. But there are, like you say, alluding to there. A lot of people going, yeah, I've done this and I've done that. As we were talking earlier, people saying, I've led tier one operations and I've done... No, you haven't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the people in that world know that, but they can't be bothered to call them out. 
Yeah. You know, and, and I can't, to be honest. I mean, if you want to live that life, that's what you're doing. You're living that life. Yeah. You don't want to get in back and forth with people in the public sphere of questioning I, I, no, their titles. I, like, I don't want What's the point? You know, you just be proud of who you are, what you are. Don't yeah. try and be... Because it will come back and bite you in the ass. Brian, who's that bloke over there? I'm going to kick this guy out who's, who's coming in to uh, try to invade our interview. Uh, anyway, the you, mo- name of the movie title. You did not need to headbutt that guy. He was only yes, coming I over did. to ask who you were. Yes, I did. Okay. Just an, it's just like we're in the jungle again. Violent Brian. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyway. Yeah. Uh, Act of Valor is the name of the movie. It came out in okay. 2012, and it was star. I'd never even saw it, but I remember it being big news because it was actually starring. Yeah. Actually, and it wasn't like a reality. It was. A, it was a, well. A narrative, normal movie. It wasn't like a documentary or anything. It was yeah. a, it was a movie starring. Like, I haven't seen. I'll show it. you the trailer. After. I, I don't watch a lot of military stuff, if I'm honest. You know, because I end up sitting there criticizing most of it, except for Band of Brothers, which I think is Great. awesome. You know, and the, what I love about that, they speak to the older people who've actually done it, so they've got good advice. You know, it's based on true stories. Of course, everything gets buffed up a little bit for entertainment, as it does. But someone like Band of Brothers, I think the other ones Pacific. Pacific, yeah. I Owen was talking I've to only us seen about that. Bits that. of that, but that looks good as well. Did you start watching it after Owen talked to, to us I about did, it? Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I I've watch watched that. one or two episodes so far. Um, well, what's interesting too is uh, with World War II veterans and how time works. There's not many of them left. No. So thank God, like we live in a we live in a time that we can capture these experiences somewhat accurately in in cinema and film and stuff. Mm. Think about. I mean, uh, Revolutionary War, Civil War. You know, any movies about made about that in Hollywood, they're not talking to actual Civil War veterans or, or Revolutionary War veterans. So you wonder how accurate those movies can be. I'm sure they are, but who are we to know any different? Because I was hearing something, someone was saying something about history, is history is only told by the victors. Yeah. And they can tell the story however way they want to tell it, if it's not actually recorded. Yeah. I mean, I think some of these documentaries are pretty accurate you know where they do go speak to both sides and there's a few lately that i haven't seen but i've heard about there's one about the falklands war where they've actually where you fought right i didn't fight no oh, you didn't no no i joined after the falklands i was still a young kid then your friend benny that yeah. i met did right yeah benny did yeah uh, and many of my friends did a little bit older than me but um sorry going back to the reality and, and uh, how realistic these things are so there was a program done recently, I think, in the last few years, where it's a documentary where they sat and spoke to a lot of my friends that were there in the Falklands about their experience, you know, starting off what life was like at home, why they joined the military, how they got, and then into the Falklands War. But then they, they actually went across to Argentina and spoke with some of the soldiers that are still alive that actually fought against these guys on the same mission, same target. For instance, Mount Longdon, when three pirates took Mount Longdon, and then the survivors that there were that went back to Argentina many, many years later, they've interviewed those guys and said their side of the story. And then, you know, I've heard, I haven't seen it, so it's hard for me to comment on it, but I've heard it's really, really powerful, really, really yeah, good. Yeah, have to and, check it out. You know, the common thing between each forces is they were doing what they believe the right thing to make the world a better place, not to be an aggressor or just to, you know, do, do things because of to show power it was about for good reasons you know and have you ever been able to sit at a bar and have a beer with like a world war ii veteran yeah i've, I've spoke with many of them mate yeah. um and 
it's always fascinating to hear their side of the story. But there, again, there's a common thread all the way through their backgrounds, how they grew up, how they were either enlisted or or volunteered, or volunteered yeah, yeah. to um, be in the military. But it, it's just interesting to see what their backgrounds were like. What they were, you know, what they were doing with their family at the time. How they, you know, they they were sort of living their life, to how they felt when they first went into conflict. You know? So you don't, as much when you have conversations with them, try to talk about the technical, strategic things. You want to know the story behind how they felt. Uh, yeah, or? because the, the only thing that changes in conflict and war is technology, really. You know, you, you always added a new element, whether it be chemical freaking warfare or aircraft or what it lays, you know, laser, whatever it may be, or drones as it is now. Mm-hmm. So that's the only thing that's different. The mentality of the people is still the same. And that's what I was, I'm always interested in, you know. Well, think about, too with you know we don't really we don't fight wars anymore i mean in america and the uk where there's a draft you know last time that happened was vietnam and world war ii so a lot of these people are are immersed into a world that they may not be emotionally or mentally wired to uh, you know be conditioned for i mean and like for you you knew you signed up and you knew this is what you wanted to do but imagine if you wanted to be a pharmacist or you know a librarian and you were not built to be a warrior, and you're thrown into combat, and they must have a completely different emotions the way they deal with it versus someone who that's exactly yeah. What they yeah, you, when you volunteer in training for it, you're already mindsets that direction. Exactly that. When you're not, when you're being forced into it, mm-hmm. which you are, like the word in the Second World War, you know, um, the draft as as you call it. Yeah, I mean, that that mindset is totally different, and. Those stories are different. When you listen, talk to the veterans, how they thought about it, what they thought about it, and how they approached it. Yeah, it's all. But then what is interesting, like you just said, and I've said to you, is there ain't many of these people left. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we should capture those stories. Yeah. And I, I always hear the, the, the thing about, oh, they, they don't talk about this. People do talk about it. If you talk to them for the right reasons, people will talk about it. I always find... And it's not everybody, of course. Um, people go, oh, yeah, well, he, he doesn't talk about his experiences. I'm going to talk about people of my generation and what I know generally what people have done and not done from their units and all this. He doesn't talk about it because of this. And I'm thinking, he doesn't talk about it because he probably hasn't fucking done a great deal. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, not all of them. You know, so you get that side of it. But I think for the older generations before our time that went to war, world war, for the reasons of allowing us to have the life we have today, I think it's really important to capture those last people's sort of diary of what they felt, why, and and people should never forget that. And we're losing it. We haven't got many veterans left. You know what, actually, I read through is my grandfather. So my father's father, as I've told you, fought in World War II. And uh, we have all of his letters that he wrote home to his family when he was a soldier. And it's really interesting to read because he's not... You can tell he's hiding really bad shit that he's seen. And he's just talking about more happy, upbeat things, asking questions about them. Yeah. You know, you get some information about, like, hey, we're here right now, all this stuff. And it's very interesting. And I would actually love, I think my dad, too, would love to just kind of get it published or something. Because even a lot of other people, mm. that you have copies of letters that they wrote home. But I remember my dad saying that when his father came home, his parents, he didn't talk about the war at all to his parents. And they would ask, like, his wife, like, does he talk to you about it? Does he talk? And he never did. And I think it took him a lot of years to talk about it. And it took my dad, when he was growing up, you know, teenager, older years, mm. I think he was one of the 
you know, the five kids. That, I mean, my dad's always been very interested in that stuff. And he got my his father, my grandfather, to open up about those stories. Yeah. And it was finally enough time that came by that he became more comfortable talking about it. But the years afterwards, he he yeah. never did. I mean, every, every person's different. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think it was... One of my biggest regrets, my uncle, my dad's brother, was uh, in the conflict in Borneo and was caught up in an ambush and went missing for, uh, I think it was six weeks, where he was presumed dead. And I've heard the, the trauma from the family side of it. They got letters saying, you know, he's killed, missing in action, presumed missing in action, killed. So they lived with the fact that he's dead, you know, going through that and not knowing where the body was, whether they'd ever see the yeah. body again, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he was found alive. By, by a Gurkha patrol and you know he was, he was close to death by that stage anyway and he had the mo- and all this but when he came back to the UK he never really spoke about it but he was my uncle I wasn't close to my uncle and I'm, I wish look going back at it on time, I wish I had made the effort to go and sit with him because being a soldier he probably would have opened up to me he would have you know not especially knowing yeah, you're a soldier as well yeah so and that's going back to my point of you know we should try and capture Th- those those me- lessons, not of the horrible side of stuff, but what was it really like? Why? How did you feel? And you know, what lessons were learned from it? While you were in combat, yeah, did you keep in touch with your parents? No, I didn't. No, they didn't. I never spoke about my military career at all, really, with mom and dad. And do you regret that? Yeah, absolutely. Do Do you wish you had acted differently on your end, opening up to communicate, yeah. or was that just not the? Uh, to, we always say, you know, you know, I'm always we're always too busy. So it'd be a flying weekend down to go see my parents, go and have a beer with my dad, do some with my mom and dad, and then have have a dinner. It was never the right moment to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But I do wish I'd have found that time. You know, I look back and go, why didn't I just go, make more effort to go and see him? Because yeah. it's all the passage of time. You don't know how long you got. Why didn't I just take the time to go and sit with him, have a beer, and just go, hey, you know, this is what I've been up to. And even if you didn't ask, just say, hey, can I tell you about yeah, why not? my life and yeah. what I do? Yeah. And do you think he would have listened? Do you think he would have, And do you think he would have been interested and asked questions? I think he would. Well, I know now he would, yeah. At the time, I, I don't know. He was just sort of so wrapped, I felt, in his own will. But it wasn't until after he died, as I told you, that I found all the paper cuttings, all the information he knew about me. He had all my, from a kid, all my boxing results, which he ne- we never spoke about, never came to any fights, all the way up to the military stuff that got into the media, the press, which how he knew, I don't know, because I, I never really, sp- I didn't speak to my brothers, my sisters, anybody about it. Mm-hmm. You know, but there's all these headlines about what the SAS have done, this, that, the other. He, he knew it was a way, he put two and two together and went, of course he's been involved in that. And he had all the paper clippings and all that. I just wish I'd have took the time to sit down and go, yeah, I was there, this is what we did. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those days are gone, so... What do, you, what do you think it is about... Is it a generational thing about fathers back then where they had to be kind of hardened and not show emotion? And, like, why, don't, why do you think he didn't want to have those moments with you? I don't know, mate. He, he just... He, he, yeah, they, you know, the generation then were, were different. Mm-hmm. They, they, they were tougher, I believe. You know, saying I loved you to my dad was like... I've just stole twenty dollars out your out your wallet. He wasn't. I don't know. I mean, he he absolutely loved us to death. He, he was a ring of steel around the family, as I said, but he wasn't this emotional, cuddly sort of person. You know, he just he's very old-fashioned in his ways. He's very strong about you know many many things, and we just never. 
I could have made a better effort for sure. He he probably could as well. But when I looked at, as I told you, I always held it against me. Never showed any interest in me when I was boxing, when I was playing soccer, or all these things, because he was never there. And it yeah. wasn't until after he died, and I was writing his eulogy that I sat down and thought, who was my dad? What was he? And then you know, he worked his ass off till virtually the day he died. Yeah. You know, and that's all he all he was interested in was keeping food on the table, keeping the family safe, and he hadn't got time for, you know. Yeah. But how was that, finding that, you know, said it was all in a shoebox, was that, like, not closure, but was that a big, like, moment for you? I mean, obvi- that obviously it is. Yeah, it was a very emotional thing. You asked me the other day about PTSD, and we were talking about that, and I've never had PTSD. Mm-hmm. I've had, you know, felt really down and depressed, but that was probably the closest, if if anything, to PTSD for me when he died. Because one, I wasn't expecting to die. I knew mum was dying. You know, she had lung cancer for two years, so we were just always waiting for that. And when the phone call comes in the middle of the night, naturally I expect it was her, and it wasn't. It was my dad. So yeah, that was. And then it hits you. I'm not going to have a one more drink with him, one more argument with him. And now I haven't got chance to ever yeah. talk to him because I did. I did think about it. The latter part of sitting down with him and going through stuff because when I got decorated by the Queen they read out his citation why you're getting this thing like you know a list of things what you've done that you know I'd forgot myself and as it's been read out I'm chuckling to myself laughing and I'm watching my dad and he's going he did what? It was funny but and I thought I'll explain that to him I'll sit down with him and have a beer with him and you always say to yourself well I'll do it next time well there ain't no next time you've got to do it now So no. and I wish I'd have done it so back to your point yeah, it left a big hole in my life. It still does. I still kick myself. But I also know I can't, there's nothing I can do about it now. It's done. Does it feel good now that your kids are able to know all the stuff that you've done? It does. But again, you know, there was a point, and I, I, I kind of, you become very selfish with your lifestyle being a soldier because you have to. You have to concentrate on everything you do, all this sort of stuff, all these experiences. And not just being a soldier, I guess you step out... When I did step out to become a bodyguard, doing all this sort of stuff, I never really spoke about what I did. Mm-hmm. I never thought about it, how interested, although I wanted to know, wanted to tell my dad stuff, wanted to know about my brother, my dad's brother. It kind of slipped my mind for a long time, and then one night I'm having a beer downtown, and my daughter's picking me up, and she's waiting, and it's a classic, I'll, I'll be ready in a minute. Two hours later, because everybody's buying drinks, she stood in the outside of the circle listening to stories, and driving home, and... You know, I'd had a few drinks, she's dropping me off, and she's crying. And I'm looking, I'm like, what's up? And she said, well, I've just realized I don't know you. We don't know you as kids. And I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, well, I've just stood there and listened to three hours of stories that we know nothing about, not a single thing. And that really hit home. And it was just after that, I thought, I'd been asked to write books before, and I thought, I don't want to write a book. I never wanted to, but then I thought, I'm going to write my memoirs just so they can see and I can explain stuff maybe later on. So I started doing that, and that's when I decided to put it into a book, as in my autobiography, telling the stories of from growing up to this, to this, to this. And that was the reason I, I, I first wrote a book. But then, you know, I do take the time. I don't go into great detail of ins and outs of conflicts and missions, but I talk about the life in the military, why I was always away, what I was doing to a degree like you know and all that sort of stuff so yeah do you think uh people should be required to perform some level of national service 
not necessarily military, but uh, something for their country after once they turn 18? I 100% do, yeah. I think we should bring back national service. And not just for the country, for them. Yeah. For in, every individual, male and female. You know, we should. Uh, what, what I mean by that is... Um, Anyone who's not going to further education probably after about 16 years of age, up until about 18 years of age, if you're not going to further education or guaranteed employment, then yeah, you should go into the military for two years, go seven days a week, or six, five days a week, Monday to Friday, and some weekends, of course. But it is military in terms of you will get up at six o'clock in the morning. It'll, it'll give you, you discipline. It'll show you discipline. Yeah, and, and the reason I say that is because exactly that. It'll give you respect for yourself, for the people around you, for your environment, for everything. It'll give you discipline. It'll give you a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And, and you've got a job, basically. Yeah. You know, you've, you've got employment. There's so many skill sets within the military that these young kids could go into for two years, learn a trade, and then if they wanted to, then they step across into the professional army when it becomes more rigid, more you know, professional and hard run, if you like. But yeah, I do. I just think... And look at look at the state of the world right now. Uh, particularly, I can talk about UK, London, and all the big cities. Every two minutes, somebody's getting stabbed. Mm-hmm. Kids got no value on life, don't care, and it's it's gone rogue. You know, they've got no purpose. They've got no role models, and they, they need discipline. They need to have respect for why they're doing what they're doing and, and who they are and other people and the environment. And that is the best way to do it. Put them into the military for two years. I, I wish I had for multiple reasons. Right. At the age of, say, 18. I didn't know. I, I don't think many 18-year-olds are old enough to make the decision of what they want to do mm-hmm. for their, their career, for the rest of their life. I truly didn't know until I got to be like my mid-20s or, or, or early 20s. Yeah. At 18, your brain isn't fully developed you really don't even fully develop your brain in, in general till you're 25, is what they say. I still haven't fully developed my brain yet. I'm a little bit found high. it. I haven't found it. But I, it would have given me a couple extra years before choosing what to go to college for, if, if, I, if college was meant for me. Because I think the problem is now is people feel like, okay, after high school, oh, i got to go to college, got to make a decision what my major is going to be got to make the t- decision to go to college, and a lot of people are then going and then getting into debt hundreds of thousands of yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars a lot of times and then they realize after their four years that's not what I wanted to do and now I have a degree that I didn't want to do that I have to pay off all this money for so it gives you an extra two years to decide what your path in life is but to be better equipped to make that decision is to, to know sure. who you are and if I had to go under like like the special forces training of what uh, where you're testing your limits finding out who you mm-hmm. truly are what your limits are you would know yourself better it's going to better prepare prepare you to make that decision, but it's also going to, whatever you encounter in life, you're going to know, you're going to be able to c- compare it to what you went through in the most difficult moment, and it's going to teach you discipline. It's a platform to mature and learn and sample and test, like mm-hmm. you're saying, where do you want, what, what might I want to do, you know? Instead of, you know, there's so many kids who, who've just got no direction, no idea, floating around, no income, Living off benefits, getting yeah. into trouble, you know that, the, and, and you know it, it, would, it would just be great for everybody. I believe, you know, I'm, I know people are going to go, oh, well, no, you shouldn't be forced to be doing this, but 
That's my opinion. I, I think national service would be a great thing. Well, even if, too, like, yeah, they're paying you some modest amount or whatever, or it's going into a scholarship fund yeah. for if you want to go to school, it's half your college is paid for if yeah. you do two years in the national service, and then it's going to cut people's debt way down. And, again, for all the reasons I said before, they're going to be better prepared and equipped to make the decision that's going to determine yeah. their future. I went to college for business economics, and I can tell you I use none of that. Of, of what I've learned from the classes in my daily life, hardly ever. What college taught me is, you know, um, managing a workload, a schedule, like, and, and having a, a goal that you have to achieve. But yeah. I also, you know, partied too much. Drank. I had a great time. Like, so it's... it's I think that's all part of it, isn't it? It's a great it's experience. Ending that childhood for two years. It's an experience two I don't years. regret. It's friends that I have for the rest of my life. But when you t look at the actual facts about it, I don't know if I don't think unless you want to become a doctor or you know a teacher then it's not it's not necessary as much anymore you can who's answer it hello Mr. Trump yes yeah okay. national service yeah uh, I do agree yeah okay he's listening in on us it's coming <laughs>